We certainly want to wish everybody a happy holiday, a happy winter solstice as we are entering into, well, you know, we're New Year is just around the corner and Joy is going to join me. Initially, we're going to have Roslyn on the show, but she wasn't feeling well. So Joy wanted to do a, talk about a couple of things. For one, as we record this show, it is winter solstice today, the shortest day of the year. How are you, Divine Joy? How are you doing? I'm wonderful, Divine Jesus. <laughs> it's lovely to be back again with you and be together on this sacred, sacred holiday. I truly feel anything that celebrates the light is sacred, you know? So, and, um, go ahead. Go ahead. So uh, just being together for this and uh, doing the lineup we have feels really good. I'm looking forward to this. So And you? So am I, thank you. Just so happens to be the coldest day as we record this of um, our year so far. So Solstice is kind of saying, hello, hello there. It's a little chilly. So, but uh, can you maybe go into and define why you feel that the winter solstice, as well as the summer, or any of the different stages throughout the course of the year, what is the origin and, and why do these have special meaning? Would you mind going into that? Oh, no, no. I'll just give you a little bit here. Um, solstice is really, to me, um, it's an ancient celebration of the light. And there's all this mythology and all this background, um, like the winter solstice actually acknowledges the goddess uh, Frega. And um, she had a son, Bothar, who came back from the dead. And um, it's interesting because uh, the mistletoe came from her promise to kiss everyone because he came back from the dead. Um, and yet he is symbolic of the light. And then, of course, we have Christianity, which is Jesus. I like to call him the J-man. And um, he's celebrated again as the birth of light. And um, these holidays... They kind of crossed over, as you know, the ancient holidays um, were the roots of so many of the holiday traditions that we have. Uh, but I think that the strongest sustainable foundational piece in each holiday is a celebration of light. Um, we have that in the Jewish faith. We have that in all these different religions. So to me, anything that celebrates source or God in that regard is sacred because it touches everything. It touches what's in us, what's in our soul. It touches what's on our earth. And the sun, I heard it said that the sun, the soul, is uh, it's the representation of the light of our planet, 
Um, so there's so many facets. And nowadays, more and more, we're merging and marrying together what was ancient and what is new. We're finding ways to integrate it all. So where there used to be different levels of vilification on the old ways, those things are now being brought more and more to the surface and acknowledged as pivotal in all all these different faiths. So that is the reason why I feel there is definite sacredness to this. Um, there are many, many traditions linked to solstice in ways people used to celebrate it. There were bonfires and feasting, and um, these things occur in the winter and the summer solstice and also on Beltane, which is May 1st, and that celebrates the, um, the sacredness of the god and the goddess coming together. But again, <clears throat> there is an aspect of light through fire there. You're with me, TJ? Yes, I am. I'm listening. Go okay. ahead. We're, we're recording a little differently, so I'm going to check in once in a while and see, make sure I still got you here. Um, is there something you want to add in there that you've noticed? No, I, I don't know that much about it, to be honest with you, the solstice. I never really made a big paid attention to it or anything. I just know it's certain times of the year. I never really understood that, looked into it that much. I know you've always been into it, so now that tells me. tells me a little bit about what that's all about. Um, so I can give you a little more here. Um, is Solstice, actually, the word means to pause, reflect, and plan, okay? Solstice, okay? This is a time that, <clears throat> seeing how it's winter, it's a good time to go within and access the inner light and pause and draw inner vision from there. Um, as I was saying, Frega, she gives birth to the light from the darkness. And um, it's interesting, this holiday, um, it not only uh, is the core of so many seasons, it really feels like it's a celebration of a turning point where we're in the depths of winter and we're shifting the energy more and more back to the light and bringing in the spring and the celebration of renewal during that time. So if you think of this time as the time to go within and let yourself birth the ideas that you have and then give birth in the spring. So um, it's, it has these, these aspects of feminine creation to it because of this kind of womb-like energy. Um, and God did have a womb, otherwise we wouldn't be here, you know. Um, and women are a reflection of that, not that God 
um, you know, centralizes or segregates um, is a better word, you know, that, um, yes, women are here. We give birth, and in the winter, the womb is active. The energy is active to bring these ideas up. So very often, solstice is seen as a goddess holiday. Okay? Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. And so it ties into, I'm guessing, the different more earthly beliefs that probably followed this, that were close to this, and there probably were many, is what you would answer, correct? Well... What was that? Can you say that again, Mike? I'm having a zero out the echoes. Okay, so my my question was, is that there were many different beliefs before organized religion came along that, that honored this, and it could have been from all different parts of the world. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. Like um, in Ireland, um, there is a cave, and this cave, the way it was created, I, I saw when I first saw it, I was fascinated. It's older than the pyramids, but every solstice, the way the light comes in, it comes in through this opening, and it illuminates the inside of this path with all these sacred carvings and it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, and then, of course, there's Stonehenge. There's celebrations going on there today. There's different parts of Norway that celebrate. There's, there's uh, places where it tends to focus on places where the ancient temples of the goddesses are. There's still celebrations going on today. And um, it's because of the recognition of the light. Absolutely. And it's been going on thousands of years um, and undercover for a long time and now not so much. So today also is the 10th anniversary of what people were saying was the beginning, the dawning. I guess you could say the dawning. I don't know if there's an official date. The dawning, dawning of the new age, the age of Aquarius, right? 2012, 10 years ago, around this date, correct? It would have started the beginning of this? I actually think that it was the 1111 that started to herald it in, and 1212 kind of brought it full circle. But I thought I'd also mention a few places, some very interesting um, celebrations that are happening, just a few, okay, um, if you're up for that, okay? Yes, ma'am, I'm up and ready to go. <laughs> okay, so in India, uh, they have this celebration, it's called Langhira. And it's bonfires and um, singing and dancing until the fires are done. In Brighton, England, I think this is really pretty wild. I never heard of this one. They have a burning of the clocks, and they do it through fireworks, and they have a parade, and um, 
they use paper and willow lanterns, uh, and they send these lanterns to the beach and pass them into the bonfire with wishes. And in China, they have um, dung chi, and it's actually linked to the energies of the yin and yang and the male and female, and they celebrate with feasting, and they have these rice balls that they eat, and it's actually linked to celebrating good energy. Um, in Wiltshire, England, of course, there's Stonehenge, where there they have singing and dance and meditation. And in Scandinavia, they have St. Luca Day. Um, but this is celebrated on the 13th of December. It's still considered solstice by the old calendar. So the old calendar celebrates um Solstice that day, and women parade in white robes and um, red sashes and wreaths with candles on their head. I don't. I mean, I don't. That like made me go, "Oh no, no fire in my hair." Um, yeah, that would <laughs> hurt. That might hurt a little bit. Really, yeah. <laughs> but hey, you know, um, it lights the way through the darkness and. What's interesting with this one, this incorporates the pagan and Christianity together, like Catholicism. Um, They have bonfires, and what they eat are ginger snaps and saffron-flavored rolls. And then in Guatemala, uh, Guatemala, they have Santo Thomas Festival, it's one week before solstice, and this is another that mixes Catholicism, but this one mixes Mayan rituals as well, and they dress in traditional costumes, and they have parades and fireworks and music, and uh, they do this thing. It's a death-defying pole dance. It's not like, you know, pole dancing here. <laughs> Uh, but what they do is they climb up a 100-foot pole and uh, they tie a rope around themselves and then they jump off. Good word. <laughs> and then they have the Hopi tribe. And it's, it's interesting. Most of us connected to metaphysics have heard of um, the Kachina dolls, um, which are ancestral spirits. But it's during this time that these dolls are actually brought forth and represent the natural world. Um, And here in the Hopi faith, um, the Hopi tribe, this is the peace tribe. Uh, They give children and they do prayers for the new year and they sing and they tell stories. And they have prayer sticks um, along with these Kachina dolls um, and uh, which they make for these events. And in Ireland is New Gainbridge, Ireland. It's 52,000-year-old tomb and temple. This is the one that I was saying is aligned with the sun, and its effects last 17 minutes. 
so the light it's it celebrates light over darkness um and to get inside of the cave um you have to pull a lottery uh like straw and that's how they decide who goes in um and like i said this one is actually older than the pyramid isn't that wild that's pretty cool and it just tells you that these ancient beliefs, which were mocked or eventually deliberately perhaps removed, were quite fo- they were followed all over the over the planet, and there was a reason that they were removed. There has to be a reason they were removed. I don't think it was by accident. Some of these teachings. Do you feel that way? It started with the disintegration of the goddess temples because these ancient traditions were considered her path. And then when the shift in power happened where the masculine stepped forward to lead for 2,000 years, that's when Christ came in and there was this agreement between the god and the goddess. And what I'm sharing it's not meant to impose on anyone. These are just metaphysical things. I mean, whatever anyone feels, you know, I don't, I'm not like saying, oh, you have to believe this. I'm just sharing my experience. That's all. Um, but um, in the shift in power, what happened was a disintegration of the goddess ways. Um, so um, where God represented um, the light and the doing and um, actually the angelic kingdom was strongly linked to the masculine ways. Um, The feminine ways um, uh, which are linked to the womb and what people feel is dark but not the kind of dark like bad, bad dark stuff you know it's not like that. It's the darkness of the womb, a place of creation. And it's interesting because um, the fairies and the kingdoms linked to the nature, the nature kingdoms are linked to the feminine. Um, You know, when you think of the ocean, the ocean is called the womb of the earth. Uh, The sun is called, you know, um, it's the soul, the the masculine energy of the light, which is birthed through the dark as well. Um, we had, um, what did you call, you know, there's uh, um, the great void when everything comes from nothing. That that great void energy is um, her energy, the feminine energy. And all this has been hidden um, but it's coming up again, and it's interesting that solstice is becoming so well-known again because it's very symbolic in uh, the turning of what's happening now where the space for the feminine is coming back and, and coming in stronger. And it's not excluding the masculine. It's, there's an equality in that dance or that marriage. So these are some of the predictions that have been spoken 
I think it was uh, the Dalai Lama who said um, that it was the women that would help save the world because um, I think he's coming from a place of the feminine voice that saves the world, and men have that in them too. Um, And the reason is because that has been silenced for a long time so there's this reemergence which helps to bring the balance back and a direction, a definite direction, um, which it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm writing this, well, I completed writing this book, and um, it deals with the light and the feminine and the power and the shift in power and everything. Um, The name of the book is called The Light from the Cauldron. I am Morgan Le Fay. And I remember, TJ, you interviewed Morgan, right? Yes, ma'am. I remember quite well that we did. It was a nice interview. And also, according to you and perhaps Morgan, that perhaps I might have been you know, if you would have asked me a few years ago, hey, you believe in King Arthur? I think I would have said, well, maybe there was some truth in that. And then you said, hey, you want to do this thing with Morgan? Oh, hey, by the way, TJ, I think you might have been there somehow involved. And I'm thinking, really? And so now, after doing all that, I guess I feel it certainly is possible whether or not I was there. But I certainly think, you know, what I've heard from you about Morgan, the words that she uses, that's not joy. You know, when you read your parts to me. I mean, nothing against your joy. Please don't take that the wrong way. (laughs) But I'm just saying, something else is working through you. Something else is working through you. You know, it's always good, I think, to, you know, for all of us to have some doubts about things to at least question what we hear. Even listening to this show, if you're doing that now, that's good. And you don't have to agree with uh, either one of us. But... I'm open, and then I also, I still question things, but after hearing what you said about Morgan, and it just, something else was, I guess, at the very least, I'd have to say, something else was working through you in the words that of this book that you wrote. Yes, um, so there is one something I wanted to say, too, that... Um, One of our early, early interviews was an interview with Kennedy. And Kennedy had all these connections with Camelot because he was an aspect of Arthur. And that kind of, it's interesting, that theme has been coming up in our shows for quite some time, you know. Mm. You know? It has been coming up. How do you? How so? You mean with Kent? When we well, go ahead. We did a show through. Remember, we did a, a channeling with Kennedy when right. he came through. We did that one with yeah. him and Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth, I recall. Right. Yeah. yeah. But this was one of the first interviews okay. we did. Okay. So the thread been consistently there and it's interesting because that is how she's worked in my life um i have a little forward here i thought i'd read to our listeners because you know i think 
sometimes when you when you hear people talk about things that seem uncommon, I think it helps to bring some clarity if you get some background on how it kind of started. And if you um, if you're open, I'll read that to you, TJ. Okay. Uh, I'm go ahead. Yes, please. Okay. Um, As a child, I knew little of fairy tales. I was busy surviving as my life was filled with pain and suffering. It was an uncommon thing for me to play, as children usually do. There was most certainly little time for fairy tales. Yet when I was about eight years old, I woke up with a burning desire to write a play. Throughout the day, I wrote a story about the destruction of a world where tree spirits and fairies needed to go underground to be safe. I made costumes from paper bags and organized the neighborhood children to play roles in telling the story. I was the producer, director, and lead actress. I danced in a ballerina tutu, telling my part in song. Shortly after, someone tried to kidnap me while I was on a back-forested road. Terrified of being outside or connecting with the earth, I didn't venture off into the woods for 25 years. I forgot the play that came so magically through me. Yet the energy that attempted to awaken my memory continued to build. I met Rainbow Rainbow Renya Rainbow Feather in 1995 at a spiritual event. A small sprite of a woman with dark hair and dark eyes, her wide smile and rich laughter caught my attention when she spoke. When she spoke of fairies, I just knew she was on speaking terms with them. Opening the the door to possibilities, I had hope of bonding and communicating with them too. It didn't happen right away. My memories were held at bay. When the movie The Mists of Avalon was brought to me in 2001, I was spellbound watching it. It was as if I was remembering something precious that had been lost to me for so long. It quickly became a favorite. Shortly after, I was led to attend an event that addressed the legend of Camelot. While there, I participated in a ritual that involved a cauldron. I wasn't happy about what I saw, which reinforced how odd it was for me to climb in the cauldron and act as if I was birthing from it. After a word, I continued traveling and offering heart and soul sessions, classes, healings, and all manner of other metaphysical work. Of course, I forgot about the cauldron, just as I did the magical story that came through long ago until the year 2012. During another spiritual event, I met a red-haired beauty with a precious soul, Rosalind McGrath. Our connection grew quickly. I found in her heart a safe place I could openly share. 
I was also writing a book about my life. With this combination of reflection and safety, my memories about the play surfaced. I realized as well it was Morgan Le Fay who told me the story I had made into that play. With Rosalind's encouragement, I allowed myself to open to Morgan and to channel her too. This marked the starting point of our deep connection and communications. Morgan's wisdoms are shared in Soul Reading's monthly moon classes, as well as classes with the fairies Gaia and Bridget. She was interviewed on the Joy of Union and Out There podcast with my co-host, T.J. Ryan. In this book, Morgan's presence shows us magic exists even in times when it seems lost to us. Morgan's truth-filled wisdoms reveal her not as a myth, but as a being of love who dissolves her vilification and lifts the veil of illusion allowing the light of the goddess's womb, the cauldron, to shine freely once more. We offer you this book as a a way to journey beyond the norm into the world where magic is a blessing of oneness which sparks the soul and returns your heart to home once more. Quite lovely, I'd say. Quite lovely, old chap. Lovely. Very nice. Very nice. Lovely. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. But I'm, I'm hoping it gives clarity on the background of connection. I'm somebody who came in channeling Christ. So the people who feel a connection with the Christ energy, which I, I, that is not diminished in my life in any way. This this particular thread here with Morgan may really seem like a very far reach, but it's interesting because <clears throat> in her book, she mentions him, she speaks of Christ, and there is um, admiration and love for his ways and his path, and there is a connection in in both which um, I thought was fascinating even in writing the book because um, I come from a very Irish-Italian Catholic background. And um, in my history, I, I grew into metaphysics over the years by studying many things. Um, but I don't exclude anything that, you know, has truth. So in the book, um, there is a place for uh, Christianity, and uh, she shares on her feelings what happened during the shift when the temples were being destroyed. And she's very clear on what bothered her and what she understood. So it's there are fascinating pieces, and I have to say, I feel very passionate about this book. Um, this book is the only book that, while I was channeling it, I cried because it hit 
something old and ancient in me, even while I was writing it. I spent 13 years writing my story. I was I had a teacher who told me, you've got to write this book. 13 years, I wrote this other book. It's got seven speaking parts with people on the other side. I've known, never cried a tear. This one, oh yeah. So the effects of it, even in writing it, are strong, you know? So I know you've heard um, a taste of the book and that you said, yeah, well, this isn't joy, and it isn't. It isn't. Um, it's this very loving Morgan, Morgan Le Fay. So, um, you know, over the years, um, I had resistance in letting this happen, and now I feel just a deep honor to to be in a position where she can come through now. So I want to thank you for opening this up to share it today. You're welcome. And you know, one thing we forgot to mention is that Rosalind was actually supposed to be doing some of this with us, and she is not feeling well. So we certainly want to send her some good juju, as you say, some love, some light her way, because she was really going to have a strong part in this as well. Because she's, you know, she's been aware of this as well. So, some love to Rosalind. But yes, and um, I believe she's going to come back on and interview Morgan another time. You know, it's not like it's a done deal. It's, you know, as long as there's space to have it happen, we'll we'll do it, you know. But, um, yeah, um, it's, uh, yes. And Rosalind's coming along. I've been in touch with her. She's healing nicely. So, um, you know, but at some point we'll see about having her on, okay? That is sounds very good. And I know as you talked to me about this to begin with, and you had mentioned that maybe Morgan, even though we're going to do a separate interview with her, with Rosalind, um, that maybe she might want to pop her head and go, hello, everybody. I don't know. That's something you want to do? Um, I'm just hearing her frequency coming around. It's like spiraling around, and I'm hearing her say, I would be open to having a conversation. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. I don't say that. So, um let me just shut my eyes and um, uh, let's see what happens, okay? Sounds good. Thank you. I am the one of which you speak, Morgan Le Fay, and it is my delight and my honor to be present with you on this most sacred of holidays that celebrates the birth of the old and new ways, the merging of the light. So in the brethren, the brotherhood, that you are seated in, TJ. I am at your service, 
and open to receiving questions, comments, and anything you'd like to share. There is an unfolding, though, that is occurring globally during this aspect of evolution, for indeed we are uh, positioning the time frame so that there is a quickening and more and more souls are moving beyond the time frame understandings of the third dimension. And so the time frames, things uh, known as clocks, will uh, continue to have less and less priority and you will see a diminishing of more and more of the old ways and understandings of how the foundational pieces of life are operating in the earthly planes. And you will experience a, a more opening out of kindness, of uh, compassion, of heartfulness, uh, new ways of birthing resolutions that are necessary uh, to rearing children, to opening out the care for the elderly, and to support those that are of innocence, uh, those children that know are known as uh, Downs. These children are indeed the heart of uh, the angelic vibration on the earth. And there are messages that will be coming, and I wish to convey this to everyone so uh, that they are seeking to know that in these new ways, that Earth is creating herself, there is a place for all. And I want to invite everyone to step in and connect with the light of compassion, however they are feeling drawn to do so, for the doors will open. Now, dear uh, brother, TJ, uh, are you having a request or a question? I know we've we've done this uh, probably a couple times now, but it's always good to go back. Yeah, I feel because somebody might be hearing this for the first time. So, can you tell us about your life and your connection to King Arthur and the time period you lived in? Would you mind just describing that a little bit, please? Oh, I I will say to you uh, in in my world where I was um, birthed as Morgan Le Fay or Morgan. I was born into a family that was considered royalty, and um, Arthur was known at first to be my half brother. Uh, for he was birthed from a second father, uh, one I call second father. He was the second father. He was a kind man. And uh, I came from a lineage where it was common practice for 
the women to um, uh, express their uh, intuition and their spiritual essence through the feminine path. So uh, mystical ways of keeping and herbs and spell castings were considered natural in my family lineage. And uh, what I want to impress is that uh, in, uh, as is so even in the world of which you live, the intention of how these practices were um, carried out uh, created outcomes and also created um, the integrity or the essence of expression of the soul uh, offering the practices. So there were some souls that were considered evil and there were some that were considered holy. Uh, and there was um, a strong uh, need to hold on to the feminine path uh, in my world So uh, there were spiritual schools, and one such space was Avalon, and this is where I went for my training in high priestess. As as a high priestess, I I was in Avalon uh, and taken when I was uh, 12. I was taken on horseback. Uh, by my my aunt, who was also a ruling high priestess. And when we went, um, Arthur and I were separated, and there was a devastation. But at the same time, Arthur and I were practiced in teleporting to each other, and we knew and had a sense of what was to come. So we prepared ourselves that we would stay in a strong bond and connection to each other, no matter where we were physically. There are reveals in the messages that I have offered in writing through this one joy that will explain some things and give more detail Uh, But I want to give you uh, what you would call an overview. Uh, In our world, we had Merlin, and Merlin was indeed a magician, a master priest who understood uh, the components of how to work with magic and creation. And uh, his heart was pure, so he indeed knew how to create things uh, using earthly realms of understanding and higher realms and to marry the two and how to uh, utilize the feminine energies. For you see, he was indeed a balanced uh, masculine. Uh, He knew uh, the honoring of the feminine path was essential in order to keep balance in any heart. And then um, as we are going along, uh, when I completed high priestess training, 
I did travel to Camelot, and by then uh, there was going to be the marriage between Guinevere and um, my brother, Arthur. And uh, the story, uh, the one, the Miss of Avalon, it actually has um, very truthful representation of many aspects of occurrences. Uh, but I want to comment that there are pieces that were not known until present. Um, I wish for you to know that there was uh, the round table, and the round table was very symbolic in its shape, in the sacredness of it. See, the roundness of it was so because there was no... Uh, one sitting at the top, when Arthur sat at the table, he sat in union with his brothers of the table. And this piece is a practice that has been carried over in uh, committees where uh, souls are working together. Uh, the Knights of the Round Table knew how to neutralize energy through the shape of the table and recognizing the equality of one another. So there are different things that occurred. There was warrings and there was my son who had been, um, I want to use this term, um, tutored and um, misdirected through the abuse of power through a family member. And so there was a disregard in our connection. And uh, there are many other things that had occurred. But Camelot was indeed held in high esteem by those who knew of the potential of growing a city of peace and brother and brotherly compassion. So these things were the very foundation of Camelot. And all the issues is very interesting. Um, family issues that came up disrupted the intention of the city. Uh, but the vision of Camelot never died. And the reason is because it lives in the hearts and the souls of men. Its vision was never meant to die because in truth, its frequency is recreated in the realms of peace. So that rebirthing is occurring even even now. And this is why I am coming forward during this time with the words on the pages, the books, and speaking uh, because it is time for a regathering of the ancient cities that house the visions of peace that are being sought after by so many. There is Camelot, there is Mew, there is Atlantis, there is Lumoria, all these lost continents, 
There is Avalon. All these spaces house the frequencies of oneness and are being called full circle once more to come and arise. And as man acknowledges this, they step forward and live from these spaces of knowing and reality. These places are no longer myths, but they are spaces where truth is being told from. Well, that's interesting, the connection to all those places as well. I guess I never would have thought of Camelot as being one of those. Um, So you lived your life in that incarnation in Camelot, and did you, you know, we've talked about it before, that, that Arthur was connected to JFK, and that's why they called it Camelot. Did you reincarnate again? Did you take body again? My position, my sole position, was to gather the little ones, the fae, and the ancient old tree spirits that wanted to come with me and to bring them inside the Middle Earth to keep them safe. And in this experience, there would be a vilification of such things and there would be fables and, uh, uh, you want to say, tales of of the existence of myself and of Camelot and the fairies. All these things would be seen as uh, non-existent, just uh, fables. And so for many, many, many moons, I stood behind the veil and allowed a form of vilification, if you will, to occur to keep all those that were with me safe because these particular branches of creation are very often linked with uh, the divine feminine. You see, with the reemergence of her, the fairies came back up. And so have I. So it was not necessary for me to incarnate into a form. Now, I have incarnated vibrationally through a form now, because it is uh, a soul agreement and uh, my presence will become more and more known uh, because I am here to lift the veil off the myths and the illusions where the truth is hiding. You see, inside of many stories that are called fables, these are memories that have been tucked away, that are needing to come forward. So, in a way, my mission was to be a witness, to observe what was occurring from an inner dimension. Occasionally, I would make my essence known to a soul, but I would not remain above the earth for some time. 
So Arthur, in regard to who he is, it was necessary for him to come into form in different aspects and not be called Arthur, but to live out and to imprint the vision of Camelot again, which occurred in your uh, United States with that one Kennedy. Uh, and his, his um, imprinting of Camelot began to open a portal where the potential for the myths and the fables to be reconsidered and reordered uh, came about through his existence. So along with the work he did on the human plane, he also, on a higher level, opened the potential for reestablishing how the truth would be revealed and be seen. So to answer your question, my essence has been formulated in certain spaces, but it isn't until this lifetime a reincarnation of who I am in form has occurred. So you've been sitting kind of laying low in the weeds for probably, what, 1,500 years, somewhere in that neighborhood, right? Well, in your human understanding, yes. In my realm, it is the blink of an eye, for there is no time. And in my world, while we, the Fae, were there, we told stories and we danced and we played and we co-created certain aspects of inner cities. And we witnessed how the ley lines of Mother Gaia were reordering themselves. And we actually lived deep in the heart of the Mother. And what other place to be in safety than there? So what is perceived as hiding out? Yes, we were hiding out for safety. But as is so often recalled, much joy and laughter and happiness was occurring because we have anticipated each day the great coming together of all ages, which the time is now, if you want to use that phrase. That's the only phrase I'm really familiar with <laughs> where I'm at. I mean, beyond here, I'm sure I'm not. I understand things differently. But where I'm sitting right now in this room, yeah, the now, the moment. So all of this is coming together in many different ways, and we're seeing many different forms of energy. And it's been said that when things become more accepting these invisible beings that were not that once lived amongst us, they're going to make themselves known. Are we close to that point to seeing some of those things? Are people already seeing that now, right? That is occurring because the portals have been opened. You see, the portals 
we went into the Fay and the troops and all manner of us, uh, they were shot for quite a while and to prevent um, uh, any kind of disruption to uh, us in a way. But the portals are open, so there are spaces in Hawaii where there are giants that roam free on the lands there. And uh, deep in the ocean in that area, the frequency of Lemuria is um, there are portals uh, where Sasquatch has been running free from uh, for a very long time. Most, not all, but most of Sasquatch civilization lived inside of the portals. You see, the reason why they're not discovered very often is because they know how to go underground. So there are those. There are the blue rays that uh, sometimes uh, want to stay very tucked away. And there are many others, many, many others um, in our position with... uh, we have been privy uh, to witness is how these souls are finding their feet above Mother Gaia on her body. So you indeed are a soul who has the ability to investigate such things and who has witnessed many, many things because your openness to experience the portals occurs quite naturally in dream time for you. This is the reason why uh, sometimes you wake up from a dream with a certain realization because you are a time traveler into portals and you go into spaces seeking a truth and endeavoring to bring them back in the present. And yet at the same time, living in a human form, your mind will sometimes say, okay, I shall take the role of a skeptic and I shall uh, test this and see how this is. And yet your consciousness knows truth so profound that it is more common for you to travel interdimensionally when you sleep than to witness the inner dimensions from a human standpoint standpoint during dream time. So it's just a matter of time before all of us will be able to will be able to witness these things, right? We we and uh, we are timing in we are the Council of One and we are working in cooperation with the ones with no names, and we too would uh, would encourage to give a direction here. So in the experience of every soul experiencing many things, uh, it occurs when you wake up to knowing you can. You see, uh, the way you awaken in the human experience, the way you awaken spiritually is awakened to the truth of knowing that you are 
divine. And in that awakening, what occurs is a limitless expression of spirit in form. And it enables you to do all this manner of magic. Now, the awakening is a very interesting evolution. There are souls that awaken periodically and then try to step back in and they think they need to hold that at bay to live in a human form when in truth the secret is to stay grounded in the present moment with the awakened memory of knowing your divinity and recognizing it's all already in front of you. It's there. There is no longer a waiting unless you choose to believe it. Remember, as co-creators, what you believe you create. Right? Good reminder. You've seen that. Yes, good reminder. Thank you. <laughs> well, we are yeah. probably yeah. running out of time. Is there anything you want to, any message you want to give us since this is solstice? Um that you would like to share before we move along? I am Morgan Le Fay, return uh, from that place of stepping aside. I wish to convey my blessings to all those present and to open out my heart to each of you and remind you that you are indeed the magic of the oneness of spirit created in form. I find deep honor in knowing that you are opening and I endeavor to hold for each of you deep love with regard to your awakening in the occurrence of grace, light, water, truth, in union. Peace be on each of you. Thank you very much. And it was great to hear from you, and, I, and we'll hear from you again. And Joy is going to return to the planet in a moment, if she's not already there. And we'll just wrap things up whenever she's ready. Okay. Here. <laughs> it's interesting because I hear that I didn't know, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm learning. I'm learning a lot about her. So, so thank you for asking your questions and for having this occur today. And I want to wish everyone a happy solstice. Thank you, Joy. I want to just thank everyone for listening in, and I want to thank TJ for his continued love and support, and I want to thank Morgan and the Council of One and the Ones with No Names for their input. Many blessings to everyone. Happy holidays. 